Hello friends, how you doing? It's Matt and you listen to episode 22 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. My podcast where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. If you're a regular, you will definitely know the drill by now. Uh, if you're a first timer drawn here by my guest Travis Rice, then I hope you enjoy the show and I hope you stick around to do some exploring dig into the back catalogue and uh, yeah, just generally find out what the Looking Sideways podcast is all about. So it's been a busy one down here in the southeast corner of England, which is where I live. Uh, Usually I unfollow anyone I see using this most hackneyed of pre-winter phrases, but just this once I'm going to say it, winter is coming and uh, that means the change in the seasons here in the UK is marked by the ski show. At the end of October, I've now been to, I realised, I think 23 of these things, which is when the whole winter sports and uh, winter holiday tribe get together. Maybe it's 22, 22 or 23. I've been way too many anyway. And uh, we've got that. And then also whatever random gatherings the preseason throws up. And in this case, we had the Human Nature Art Show featuring luminaries such as Brian Aguchi and Jamie Lynn. And Travis Rice's depth perception premiere, which passed through London for a couple of days and was the reason I could grab a chat with the great man himself. So I've got a couple of things to say about this one before we get cracking. Firstly, a ski show party the night before meant I was a little bit croaky voiced when I came to meet Travis. I think regular listeners of the podcast are going to recognize that. There's a few little surreptitious coughs going on. So forgive me for that one. And the second thing to say is, well, it's it's Travis Rice, isn't it? And when I sat down to start this thing back in early 2017, I drew up a wish list of guests. And of course, Travis Rice was on there. I'd got absolutely no idea how I was going to get him on the podcast. But, you know, you got to aim high. And I was obviously pretty stoked when he agreed to meet me in London after a little bit of back and forth with various PR agencies and, and sponsors. And I don't mind admitting, um, I'm going to put this down to the the mild middle-aged anxiety um, brought on by the hangover that I had, or the fact that it was Travis motherfucking Rice, but I was a little bit nervous before this one. I've been interviewing snowboarders for over 20 years now, Jesus, and uh, it's usually water off a duck's back, to be honest. But yeah, on this occasion, I was definitely a little bit apprehensive. The fact that the people working at his hotel, the Strand Palace in London, do not ever go there were absolute bellends, didn't really help. Um, but once we got our location sorted and, and settled down, it became clear that I needn't have worried because uh, Travis got right into the spirit of the Looking Sideways podcast, as you're going to hear, and is as intriguing and focused a character as you'd expect if you've got any kind of passing acquaintance with his films or career. Because as I, sus- as I suspected... Travis Rice is a thinker, he's careful to consider his answers and he's also careful to imbue substance into everything he does and the theme that swiftly became apparent as our conversation unfolded is that Travis enjoys being challenged, unlearning, unknowing, unfamiliar spaces, these are phrases that cropped up during the course of our conversation and listening to him use these phrases in the context of a long description of his career suddenly made a lot of sense to me. Striving, pushing, working hard, seizing opportunity, it's all here. And sure, if you followed his meteoric success, you might suspect that those elements played a key role, but it's good to get it confirmed. And uh, there are other couple of things to listen out for. 
particularly an anecdote about his uh, in his early career travel budgets, um, which I thought was pretty telling. And an almost throwaway line about the importance of developing relationships in snowboarding, which holds true for uh, for any type of career or, or endeavor. Now, if you've been listening to this for a while, you know me. I try and steer clear of all the cut price, Tim Ferriss, uh, relatable stuff. But in this case, it's hard to avoid the conclusion that these are rather obvious lessons. And if you apply them to your own life, it's probably not a bad idea, really. So, yeah, a great episode, this. And we do cover a lot. We talk a lot about depth perception and uh, how it's a, a definitely a change of direction for Travis. We talk about how he got sponsored. We talk about the fourth phase. And we talk about Travis's reaction to the backlash that he's had over the years for uh, the particular style of his own films, particularly a notorious White Lines review of the fourth phase, which I've handily linked to in my show notes over at www.wearelookingsideways.com if you want to check that one out. We also talked about his thoughts on the future of snowboarding, um, his plans for his own career and where that's going to take him. And uh, yeah, plenty more, basically. So I hope you enjoy it. I very much did so. Uh, I very much enjoy talking to Travis. So here it is, my interview with Travis Rice on the power of not knowing. Enjoy. So Travis. Yes, sir. How you doing? Man, I, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, a little worn down. Europe has been a uh, full, uh, we basically have been slightly turning up the amplification throughout our whole European tour. Right. And we hit 11 in Russia. Okay. That I, happens in Russia. Yeah. We, we hit 11 in Russia. So and that's what happened to me when I went to Russia as well. They like that. <laughs> it involves vodka normally, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, but, you know, getting to London and having a couple shows, having a little time to uh, kind of catch back up. Yeah. Good. Stoked to be in the city here. Yeah. You've been here a few times though, right? Oh yeah. I yeah. love London. Yeah. Yeah. So the film, yeah, I saw it last night and um, really enjoyed it. So how's it been going down? Well, you know, we, uh, it's funny cause I, I didn't think this really happened much anymore, but uh, we, we proved that wrong. We, we finished editing at like 3 a.m. The day of the premiere. Wow. So okay, we've been. So that's the same for everybody then. Deadlines. <laughs> yeah, we've been we've yeah. been riding this one hard. Um, right. You know, it was a it was a film that we <clears throat> I think we took a lot of risks um, doing the film we uh, the way we did it and the style we did it. Uh, but so far, you know, the response has been um, the response has been super positive, and I, I really I truly love the project. I'm. Yeah super proud of uh, everyone's hard work that went into it and the fact that we came out of it with something that uh, it's it's positive it's it's authentic it uh, makes you want to go snowboarding so I was gonna ask you that because it, it is a departure it, you know it seems to be stylistically from like the fourth phase and the other films is that an intentional thing uh, yeah absolutely I mean we spent four years working on the fourth phase and it was a beast of a project yeah which uh, you know, a heavy post-production process last summer and, you know, super proud of, of what it was and the amount of effort that went into it. Um, and so, you know, kind of stumbling out of that, that project, uh, you know, this was, uh, an absolute departure because, you know, we didn't want to jump back into anything like we had just done. 
and the freedom that came with, uh, you know, it was just us. Like it was just me, uh, Sky Chip Taylor, who uh, edited majority of the fourth phase, and guy Chris Murphy from Helion Company out of Bozeman. <clears throat> we brought him on to help kind of round out our little team, and that, that, that's all it was. You know, we didn't really tell anybody we were we were making it. We were doing it. We had a little bit of support. Um, Quicksilver helped us kind of get the thing started, and then we were able to pick up some more support along the way. Uh, but it was a really streamlined project. It was efficient. <laughs> I mean, yeah, compared to the others, you know, there's like you say, small crew, one location, you know, it looked like you scored the weather, <clears throat> looked like you got amazing conditions. <clears throat> Excuse me, Rose, obviously fourth phase, one of the things I got from that was it looked like that was hard. It looked like sometimes you had troubles with weather, you know, there's a lot of travel, a lot of logistics. Is, was this one almost a bit more enjoyable in that way because you could just concentrate on the projects and the riding? Yeah, this one, I mean, I, I feel like we found a lot of symmetry with this. Uh, with this project, um, you know, a lot of doors just opened and things uh, unfolded in a <clears throat> pretty positive way that made the project uh, easy. Okay. And, you know, we went in thinking we were going to do a little short format, you know, 15, 20 minute art film. And after the first three weeks of riding, which was the planned trip, right? I think we all looked at each other, myself and then, you know, Brian Fox, Austin Sweet and Robin Van Jin as well. And we were like, man, this is, this feels really good. Like that's, let's double down on this and, and finish what we came here to do. I mean, we saw the sun one day in three weeks right, uh, on our first shoot. And so here we all shine the rest of our uh, obligations and engagements for the winter and double down and ended up uh, going back up, uh, convinced uh, CMH, uh, CMH Heli in Canada to kind of double down with us as well. And uh, after they closed down for, uh, their guests in public at CMH Galena Lodge and kind of the area we shot this at. We went back up and the staff was super accommodating and we gave it one one last go. We had another like two and a half weeks and called in some favors <laughs> like Ty Evans. Uh, Ty Evans came up with his uh, shot over system and we were able to so shoot. Like shots are, are beautiful. Like, yeah. So, I mean, so I mean, what, what, the other thing I was going to say is the riding in it, <clears throat> is really relatable. Obviously the ride, the riding is full on as you'd expect, but um, because of the way it's shot and because it's a lot of free riding and a lot of pillows and a lot of beautiful powder riding, you do look at it and you do think, you know, it c compared to some of the other films where you look, it, it might be quite well, you know, you, ne you know, you're never gonna do that. But in this film it looks, yeah. I mean, is that something that was, was conscious or did that just come out of the filming? I mean, it was, uh, <clears throat> it was intentional. Uh, our goal was to highlight all different aspects of riding yeah. uh, that you can do in a place like this. Yeah. It's got the high alpine, it's got the super dynamic, uh, really you know crazy terrain in treeline. And that was just it. All, all conditions, all styles of riding. And we wanted to make a fun project, get you juiced to go ride. Because we were juiced to go ride. Well, you scored it. Yeah, it like, looked like fun for sure. Yeah. And how do you pick those guys that you, that you worked with, the riders? Um, <clears throat> you know, the, they were kind of a natural choice. I mean, I've, I've traveled with Brian quite a bit, um, known him for a while. And uh, I think this one, it, it was kind of easy because, A, you know, we're on the same, we're, we're on the Quick team together. And I think that was part of it, uh, getting support from Quick. But, you know, Sweeten, he's 
you know, a super up and coming. I, I mean, the guy is one of the best big mountain freestyle riders that, that I know. He, he's, he's tiny in the way that he's <laughs> able to like bounce and land like a flying squirrel. <laughs> like the ratio of his board size to his body weight. Uh, you see it when he goes fast and he ollies or hits jumps. He literally, he, he like has lift underneath his board. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it, whatever, they're just good guys. And, and everyone has their own kind of dynamic uniqueness about them. And it was fun to do a film with only four uh, people because then you got to dive in a little deeper to kind of portray their characters, which it's always tough because, uh, you know, I have these these projects and there's 12, 13 people and I, I want to spend so much time. I want to try to convey who these people are and set their character up. But man, you just don't have the time. And then getting Robin on the project was a, a huge bonus for us. You know, I, I wanted to have a woman on the fourth phase project and we kind of had it lining up and then it, it, it kind of fell through. And that was a little bit of a regret on not having a woman involved in our last film. So for this one, it was a no brainer. It was like, all right. And, you know, it made it easy because Robin A, she's uh, super well-versed in the backcountry. I mean, she has more certs than than we do as far as like your avalanche certs, right. uh, medical, first responder. Uh, she's been doing some some guiding up at Baldface okay. just for fun. And so right. having her on a program, I mean, we were, we were more backed up yeah. with her on it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah, like you said, the dynamic of the team really comes across, I think. And there's also like a conceit at the center of the film that isn't immediately obvious when you watch it. I'm not really going to say what that is because I think it helps if people can, can watch the film and let that unfold. Where did that idea come from? Uh, with, you mean like storyline? Yeah, the narration device and, and the way that you kind of reveal it at the end. And, you, well, know. <clears throat> you know, bottom line, we've always tried to share and portray uh, the beauty and uniqueness of these locations that we're lucky enough to go to. I mean, I, that's always kind of been the goal. And I think we really, when we did that, sit, that's all being able to bring aerial unit and shoot, you know, that, that all of a sudden helped put the, you know, the, the viewer, uh, in a much better position to understand the, the world around where we are operating. And so this was, I think, trying to take that a step further and, um, you know, with a single location, uh, you know, I wanted to tell more of a story about like the symbiosis of the forest, of the flora and fauna, the climatology of the area, the geology of the area and what makes it so, uh, so dynamic. And, you know, with the title depth perception, um, you know, granted, I guess I've been, dis I've been explaining this for uh, other languages. So, right. Sure. Depth perception, right. Binocular vision we humans have. Um, but to take it a, a step further, you know, depth perception is also trying to see a little deeper than, uh, you know, your first gut shot glance beyond the surface. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that, you know, and that was one of the big challenges with this too, is like, how do you portray in a fun way? Um, these kind of deeper scientific and almost spiritual elements of an area like this. Did you take any influences from anywhere in the, in the approach that you used from, sorry, from anyone, from any, from any of the filmmakers or, or uh, from any, any of the projects? For, well, I, I mean, from our previous projects, 
I think probably took a little bit from every single one of them over the years, you know, you, you work on it and you try hard and some things work and yeah. you always learn from your mistakes. Um, I, I definitely think it was more, um, you know, interesting ways to convey information. That's really what it came down to. Um, and I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of incredible directors out there. I mean, you, you know, you, you can't help but draw a, a line from like, say, Wes Anderson. Um, you know, it's definitely a little bit more like a, uh, it's got roots in like kind of a hipster art film for sure. I mean, yeah, that's what I, that's what I was getting at, I guess. You can see there are influences from outside the snowboarding yeah. film genre, you know. So yeah. I just wondered how conscious that was because that was the thing that struck me when I watched it as well. Yeah, I think part of it was uh, looking outside for other ideas and then the other part was just trying to sit down and figure out what the challenge that we were presented with and conveying information and how best to utilize, uh, you know, uh, other styles from, you know, narration to motion graphics, uh, to make it fun and give a little more of an authentic feel of what it's like on a trip like this. Yeah. Cause that's what it is. I mean, when you're on a trip, you know, ride powder with friends, it's, it's fucking antics. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a little bit of everything. It's snowboarding. That's why everyone goes snowboarding. It's the whole point, isn't it? Um, so I'm going to ask you about the fourth phase because, you know, when, when we came in, you asked me, I asked you if you'd read the white lines review of, of, of the fourth phase, yeah. um, which you have, and there's some criticisms, if you like, in, in about the style of the films that you developed, almost like saying that there was a visual cliche developing. Did you think that was fair when you read that? How do you respond to that kind of thing? Well, I mean, whatever, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a review, right? A review is a very personal opinion. And I, I remember someone forwarded me this like article from this person, Pengu, who, I mean, what, you're gonna hide behind a, a anonymous profile to write a review? <laughs> uh, I don't know, I, honestly, I think we had more fun than actually felt criticized with that interview. I mean, I, we ended up reading it out loud and actually, right. it, it, we had a really good laugh about uh, his perspective. Right. Um, and whatever, you know, it's, it's a review. Yeah. The fourth phase is what the fourth phase is. And you know, it, it's what I felt was really, was really funny was one of the setups, one of the like messages that came through the fourth, fourth phase was, uh, to put it, to put aside expectation because expectation is a setup to, uh, to be disappointed in life in general. Yeah. And literally the entire uh, review was about this guy's expectations of what the film was and about how the film was, uh, was different or you know, didn't fall in line with those expectations. <laughs> so I, I, I thought it was kind of funny that it seemed like he completely missed the point. Right. There's a line in the new film um, which describes you and it's kind of, I'm going to find it. It's kind of played for laughs. It says never before has a man li lived who was so entranced by the microscopic <laughs> details of life. Um, is that an accurate description of, of how you live your life? <laughs> um, I know, yeah. I know it is played for laughs in the film, but it kind of struck me that cause Liam Griffin, who's a friend of our, like mutual yeah, friend yeah. that we've got, he, I, I talked to him before this and he, he did sort of imply that, that there was some truth in that. 
Well, you know, uh, those those lines, the character setup lines, were written by uh, uh, this woman, Melissa Larson, and a I know director. Yeah, yeah, the script's great. I'm going to, you know, and a director, uh, Chip, and uh, I, I think those guys are always rolling their eyes a bit because I'm constantly, <laughs> I'm constantly uh, pushing them to to take it a little bit deeper, to to dive into the the underlying, you know, science and nuances of, you know, everything from technology to spirituality. And um, I think in response to, you know, pushing them constantly through the last project and this project to uh, let's dive a little deeper. Let's, let's convey some of this information. Let's right. take a risk on this. Yeah. I think that was kind of their response. <laughs> It was one of the th questions that I think people are really interested about with you, though, because I asked the listeners for some, you know, some questions, because obviously when I said that you were going to be on the podcast, there's a, there's a lot of interest in that. And I think one of the common questions was like, how, how does he how does he prepare for what he does physically and mentally? You know, do you have routines like how do you look after yourself? Um, you know, do you do yoga? Do you, do, you, do you look after what you look at what you eat? I mean, is that something that you that you're really calculated on those details? Uh, yeah, man. I, uh, I, I love to understand both how things work and to try to consistently remind myself, uh, that knowing is not necessarily the path to happiness. <laughs> so that's uh, interesting. So what do you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> I think that you know, <clears throat> facts, right? Like, like facts can be so precious to all of us, like our, our knowledge and the things that we, uh, that we latch onto as <clears throat> rock solid, uh, concrete, little precious articles of faith, gems yeah. of, of, of knowledge. I mean, this kind of helps, I think us, uh, figure out who our identity is. Um, and the world that we grew up in, the, you know, what I was taught in my youth and continue to be today from various sources, it, it's, it, it's constantly evolving. And I mean, with the advent of, you know, quantum physics and uh, new research that's coming out, I mean, the, these like hard, fast truths that uh, we grew up with are constantly being upended. And, and challenged. Yeah, and changed, and the world that we see around us uh, kind of becomes more dynamic and less uh, static. And so, you know, I I enjoy allowing uh, what I know to not be so concrete. Okay, I I, I enjoy the magic that that comes out of um, the unlearning process, really. Because, you know, you grow up, you grow old, and you learn all this stuff. And, the, you, you know, you, as you grow old, you kind of lose that, like, childlike joy, the, the freedom. And, you know, you look and there's a lot of kind of old, bitter people stuck in their ways. And it really is weight, like physical weight, that, that kind of slows the body down. This, when, when, when you stay less and less open. Yeah. And well, there's a school of thought, isn't there, that yeah. aging is when you stop learning, basically. And so I, I think that, you know, there's this point where, you know, for me, it was like, all right, 
you know, bring it into more of an area of, of an unlearning, of an unwinding. And I really think that that's the path to, to youth and to joy and happiness. Okay, so you're very proactive about that, about challenging your own assumptions that you might have. Yeah, I, I try to be. Yeah. Good way to live. Not easy. Uh, no. <laughs> not at all. We seem to always take the, not the easy path. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it kind of leads me to the next question, really, because you, you're obviously um, really synonymous with Jackson. And that, that's always struck me as an environment that, that helps with, with that kind of thought process and, and showing you a way of potentially living your life. I mean, you, did you grow up in Jackson? Is that where you're from? Yeah, yeah. I was born there, grew up there. Okay. Um, um, and that's obviously a very particular environment, right? Yes. Jackson is, uh, it, it, for me, it's a, great, it's a great home base. It's a place that I you know, can go home be grounded of family, friends. But uh, I'll tell you, man, that Jackson is not really my relaxed place, honestly. No? I mean, I've got a symbol gallery there, and when I'm home, I'm usually at home and have the time and ability to do, you know, finish up, work on projects. I mean, our, our editing and post, post-process. And uh, I think that's why I, I've spent so much time sailing the past few years because I get a little bit more disconnected and okay. ability to is that is that how you relax if you like um not the only way I relax I think it's just uh it it sets up a a little bit more unfamiliar space okay um for me to not get into the uh the ruts of I don't know I feel a little less unstuck okay so what was it like growing up there as a, as a young snowboarder? What, 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 how old were you when you sort of found snowboarding? Um, I didn't find snowboarding really until I was about 13. So you skied 12, before 13. that? Yeah, skied before that, skied um, before I even remember. And were, um, you, were you in the ski club, presumably, like the, that kind um, of thing? I did a little bit. You know, there was a couple of years that um, I raced a little bit, but I, I just remember, I remember one particular race and we were up on Jackson Hole and we were like slipping powder off of the course. And, you know, for me, I love ride pow. We did. Yeah. Um, other than pow riding, skiing was a little bit boring. I yeah. mean, it, it was just not that, you know, when you do it from when you're just a little kid before you even learn, turning wasn't all that awesome. And that's why when I tried snowboarding uh, and the art of the turn, the challenge of like linking those first couple turns, uh, that some something happened where the finesse of just linking the turns um, and the art of the carve. It, I'm still pursuing that. That's what hooked you. Twenty years later, yeah. I still love turning edge to edge on a single edge. Yeah. Okay. So what? What? Who were the kind of influences back then when you were growing up snowboarding in Jackson? Well, my influences were all in Jackson. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely was a complete consumer of. Uh, Core media, yeah, sure, right? yeah. The magazines, That's what you do, isn't it? The videos, yeah. Because um, he's around then, like Lance Pittman. He's a Jackson. Local, yeah, the, the people like this guy Brody Dowell, who uh, fuck he had the first time I ever saw him do a backside rodeo. Right. Uh, then Lance Pittman was amazing. Brian Deguchi was there. Yeah. And then occasionally they'd bring people to Jackson, <clears throat> but you know, really, uh, I think for a lot of people, you know, Peter Line. You know, Craig Kelly, Terrier, uh, you know, these types of names were pretty influential. But for me, it was like the locals. Yeah. It was the locals in Jackson that I was 
looking up to and paying attention. So what was your routine, you know, like in those teen years, the sort of 10,000 hour years, if you like, when you know you, you, you're just caning it and, you, oh, and you're building it? Routine, like, Tuesday, four o'clock to nine o'clock every day, Tuesday through Friday, riding the resort at yeah. night, night riding. Really? Because we had lights on the town hill. Right. And so, I mean, that was it. Every day after school. Okay. We go snowboard. Yeah. Every day. And then the weekend, go to the big mountain. Go yeah. To the resort. Okay. So caned it basically for those years. Yeah. Just logging hours. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, Snow King is a really steep mountain. Yeah. I rode there two years ago. So it's right in town, isn't it? Yeah. It's right in town. Yeah, I think it's like, it's it's like two, two lifts, isn't it, or something? Or like maybe yeah. even one lift or something. Two. Uh, it's got three now. Okay. And it's actually, it's actually about to expand. Um, but that mountain has, in all of North America, all of North America, that mountain has the most, the, the steepest terrain for how large the resort is. That's a fun resort, for sure. Yeah. Even when it's icy. Yeah. There's always, it's north facing. I was going to say, it's in the shade, isn't it, that place? Yeah, it's steep and yeah. it's icy. And I think it was perfect. Yeah. So, so when did you start to, you know, I'm going to ask you for the quick part of history. Um, you know, when did you start to sort of like get the sponsorship and start looking at um, it as, as you like think, okay, well, maybe I could take this further. It's a good question. You know, I, I was able to get on the snowboard team and traveled and did some like youth events, youth contests. Um, I did okay. You know, I, I was good. I wasn't great. Um, I won a couple events, but you know, small little things. Yeah. Um, and I think our big thing was uh, I was in a TV class. Okay. I, I took a bunch of TV TV news classes, you know, where I'd go up in high school and you know, TV news would be 10 minutes at the beginning of school. Okay. The whole school watches really? and we go out and You did that as a class. Yeah, it, right. oh, it was so epic. Okay. TV news was the best cuz we'd go do all these like super funny stories on And what what's what's that all about then? They're just getting you out and Yeah, well TV yeah, TV news class. So we'd literally do a li like a live wow. news broadcast. I didn't, I didn't know about that. In the morning for right. the whole school. Okay. <laughs> it was epic. Every everyone in school tuned in. Right. Uh, maybe it wasn't every day. I think it was twice a week or something. But we were able to rent rent t rent the cameras, right. and we were able to check them out of school. Okay, and so the right. minute the minute that I had a driver's license at sixteen, we would constantly check out you know these shoulder mount uh, big wow. beta yeah, yeah. V, beta tape uh, shoulder mount cameras, and we would just take them into the mountains and go shoot snowboarding. Right. You know, me and a couple of other snowboarders, we were all in the same TV class. And so that was it. We'd, Amazing. we'd take shit and, we, and we'd go make our own little movies, make right. like little sponsor me videos okay. and go make funny skits. Um, and so that's, I think that kind of later really parlayed into uh, really enjoying the filmmaking side and having some confidence and right. doing that. Um, started then. Yeah, okay. And then I guess the sort of, it's like, you know, the, the time I remember seeing you kind of blow up, it's like Super Park, maybe? <clears throat> yeah. Like 2001? Is that about yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, 2001. Before that, I went twice to Europe for Junior Worlds. So, oh, oh, okay. Well, like the, yeah, because he used to do those events. Yeah, so it was yeah. like two years that I was competing yeah. and actually went to Mount Bachelor for like the training session and went into Europe. Right. Um, so I was going for it. I wasn't sponsored at that time, but I was working construction in the summer to right. help pay for the winter. <laughs> yeah. And... Yeah, I, I got on Flow. I remember my first sponsorship was my buddy's dad was like a Rosignol rep. And I got a, a free board, a free uh, 
mechanical pencil and a, one of those plastic change cup change cups that's a solid deal right and there. i was yeah i was psyched i was like yeah. free snowboard are you kidding me stoked yeah <laughs> and uh i don't know so i was probably 17. yeah and then and then it broadened yeah and then i i was able to finish uh high school early which i, I did some additional like science credits i went to this like marine biology school in the summer down in florida actually and got some science credits finished so i was able to graduate in like january 5th and then i took that winter off right and kind of pursued it and again did okay you know didn't do great on the contest that i went to but you know a big part of snowboarding too is the relationships you, you develop sure and and then that spring uh i got the random you know, invite from my guys in Jackson to go to Super Park. Yeah. I didn't have an invite, but they were like, fuck it. Just get in the car with us. We're going to California. Yeah. Got there and they were able to talk Pat Bridges into letting me up. Yeah. Last minute. Yeah. Did that. And there you go. Did that. Yeah. Got MVP. I mean, that was like one of the biggest Super Parks there was. It was like 80 or 90 pros from all over the world. It was a big deal, on wasn't it, back then? You know, it was one of the big, big sort of media events, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was Good huge. place to, uh, to announce yourself. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, right time, right place. Yeah. Did you see that at the time? Were you like, this is an opportunity? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I saw it as an opportunity for sure. Uh, I was just psyched to go ride like perfect jumps. With, like with the, the setup was amazing. Yeah. And being from Jackson, we didn't really have much of a park there. So anytime I got to travel to like Colorado or to <clears throat> California and ride park. Yeah. You know, that's Especially all I wanted a good to do. Park. Yeah. All I wanted to do was go ride park so when it became clear that you might be able to have a career in it did you did you have a master plan it might sound like a silly question but did you always have what i guess what i'm getting at is did you did you have a strong sense of how you wanted to to live a possible pro career as a snowboarder because obviously you can go a lot of different ways can't you and and from what from looking at your career from the outside it, it's always looked quite controlled it's always looked like you've had a really clear idea of where you wanted to get to and and how you wanted to get there was that there from the start um no, I think what was there from the start was a, a a lot of motivation and desire to work harder than anyone else I knew. <clears throat> you know, I would do, I would go to a contest on the weekend and then I would have like four, four days and I'd just go into the back country and try to like film. And then I wouldn't show up for practice for the contest and then get there and just do the contest. And so I, I, I was just kind of, I was just working harder than everyone else around me. And I had a lot of friends who, you know, had these like small travel budgets, you know, like 5,000 bucks, yeah. you know, and I was kind Get of in a similar road. boat. Yeah. And I, I remember just being so like baffled because, you know, we get towards the end of the season and guys are like, well, that, that's my, that's my year. I'm out of travel budget. I'm uh, just going to cruise around home and yeah. And I was like, what? Like, Right. You know, and so I was, I was <laughs> tapping into, you know, my hard earned money. And, uh, I, for the first 10 years of my career, I, I paid out of pocket more than twice, like what I had as a travel budget for that year right? to go and pursue it. And, yeah. you know, I look at it in hindsight and it was, it was an investment in myself really. Yeah. I mean, it was probably the best money I ever spent was, uh, putting my money into, yourself Just, yeah, yeah in myself and yeah. even for our film projects it really it was kind of the same story like 
it, you know, I think from the outside, it does look uh, like well produced and organized <laughs> and like a, 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 you know, a real laid out plan. Yeah. But, and so much of what we've done has just been like shooting from the hip and right. following up a genie. And like, all right, I'm not going to wait for this film to be totally greenlit. Like, I'm going to make it, it happen. Like, I'm going to put up some money. Yeah. Let's go do it. And then we'll figure it out as it goes. Have you always had that work ethic? Since you were since you were a kid, because that's what you're talking about, isn't it? You're talking about like a, a wanting to go out there and get it, basically. And and as you said, you know, projects. It's another question I've got. You've always got a project. You know, there's always something going on. Have you always had that? Um, it's it's tough to. I've always been really motivated. I've always had a lot of energy. Um, I don't know when I was younger because it was different. You know, that you put your energy into other other things. Um, I always had plenty of energy though. Uh, and you know, to bring it full circle, like this, this depth perception project, same deal. Like we didn't have a plan to go and shoot this movie. Yeah. And we came out of the fourth phase and we had this little spark to go give it a shot. And we realized that we had some really special to us. Yeah. And it was like, all right, hail Mary, <laughs> like it's calling some favors see if sponsors will double down with us. And it was awesome. They did. I mean, Skull Candy came in, helped us out, saved us. Uh, Roxy stepped up to like help Robin back. Quicksilver, like, I'm sure rolled their eyes, but uh, they had our back from the very beginning. And then CMH, that was the big one. It was this, you know, pretty major company. Yeah, sure. Large corporation. Yeah. Um, you know, who I'm sure most of their business is skiing. Yeah. Um, we're like, all right, we'll take a chance on these snowboarders. Well, and also that, you know, it doesn't, they're not massively a part of it in the film. So there's, there's quite a nice backseat with the sponsorship and the, and the branding, if you like, in the film. You know, it's pretty low-key, isn't it? Which is another thing I really liked about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we were pretty much tired of looking at slow-motion shots of helicopters. Right, right. <laughs> like, yeah. Seriously. So what's next? What's the next project? There's got to be one. I mean... I mean, there's always another project for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what we're going to do this winter. We're, we're just, we're still finishing off little pieces of uh, depth perception. Um, you know, it's going to come out November 7th uh, to actually be for sale. And we're still putting some, some plate, some things in. So for that to come out successfully, I mean, the supernatural contest I, I did in Canada. Yeah. Um, I was the, another thing I was going to ask you about. Yeah. So, you know, what's next? I, I, I've, I've always been, I've always really believed in that project. Did, it, did they turn out in the way that you wanted them to? Uh, yeah, honestly, yeah, they did. In the sense that we, we actually ran the event. We got the best riders in the world for that type of riding to come. At the best and, place. In and, best you know, one of the best places yeah. we had, we had pretty incredible conditions. Uh, you know, I won't say perfect conditions for sure, but we had good enough conditions yeah. to run the, the, run the event. And it was an amazing kind of beta version of what want it to become. Okay. Learned a lot about, right. Learned a lot from those events. And, uh, honestly it's been what, four years and, um, I've been working for the last four years behind the scenes on the next iteration of that. Okay. When's that likely to happen? Um, we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think doing it after the Olympics year would be perfect. People will be tired and fed up with, uh, pretty much over 
like well, the, I mean, the whole Olympics hoopla and ready for something fresh. And um, that, that's when I would like to do it. But I guess that's the, where, what, what I touch you next. I mean, you've got a pretty unique perspective on competitive snowboarding with the projects that you've done. So where do you think it's going to go generally? Because it's a big debate, isn't it? You know, like how do we... snowboarding? I mean, I think look to the, look to the youth for that one, man. I, I don't know. It, it's incredible what they're doing. I mean, I'm, I'm a total fan. You know, for many years, I've, I draw inspiration from, from the youth, those guys. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not competitive snowboarding anymore. <laughs> it is psycho what these guys are doing. And, and they're making it fucking look good too, which uh, is really refreshing. You know, there was that like hurdle where for a little while it was these, you know, double corks that, you know, they look kind of staunch, kind of like, like I think what my double corks like these days. <laughs> um, and now, you know, these days, these guys making it look amazing. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, look, th that's here to stay like competitive snowboarding, half pipe slope style. Uh, it, it's not going anywhere. Um, it, it'll stay around. <clears throat> the thing that is, uh, is missing right now in snowboarding is that, you know, when I was young, you had 20 year span in a competition from older guys to younger guys, people competing together. And, uh, and, and now with the level of skill needed to ride like that, uh, it's, it's such a more precise thing. Yeah. You have fewer people graduating into the ranks of the top 10 being able to do this stuff. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it's great, but it's not representing the entirety of snowboarding and how dynamic it really is. And so I believe that there needs to be a next step to that, you know, uh, something that you graduate from that type of riding, or you don't even go through the channels of that. And then, you know, something like the supernatural where it, it, it takes the freestyle prowess, um, but also being able to draw a unique line down the mountain. Yeah. I mean, I would say, it's got to be 90% of people when, you know, describe your ideal day, what you yeah. want to go do. It's like, oh, I want to go, you know, ride powder. I want a nice powder turn. Yeah, basically. nice powder turn and score it. And so, yeah. you know, I think it's that, <clears throat> it's that pure interaction uh, with the mountain where I, th I think kind of what's missing is, you know, the parks and pipe, uh, the rider is the character. Yeah. You know, which, sure. which is a good thing. It's how yeah. it should be. But... Well, that's mainstream sport. What's missing is yeah. that, uh, you know, I really think that the, the mountain and yeah. the conditions and the course and the uniqueness of how to draw that line, it, that's kind of what's what's missing. Which is something that we've, we've never cracked in snowboarding, really, is it? You know? I mean, not consistently. I mean... Whereas in surfing, for example, those conditions are, a lot of the time, they are the point, aren't they? You know, mm -hmm. it, is, it is about that, like what you're talking about. Yeah. Not that they're completely relatable, but, you know... Sure. I mean, you know, the, each place that you see on the World Surf League uh, World Tour is it's it's unique. Yeah. And it's about that kind of dance between Mother Nature and those types of conditions and how one best, yeah, uh, you know, interprets it and uh, is able to ride with it. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm going to continue to try to see if I can't get this thing online yeah because i think a lot of people would love to see it happen yeah for sure yeah definitely um okay so i got a, i got a few listener ones i'm gonna rip through if that's cool yeah um a friend of mine who's been to alaska a lot was interested in uh in 
in how you approach riding Alaska and like your line and trick choices. His question was, um, is it calculated to, to the ninth degree or is there an element of, as he puts it, fuck it, I've got this. <laughs> it's a beautiful combination. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, like hands down, it starts with the calculation. Uh, you know, we're not riding lines up there without knowing exactly where we want to go. Of course. You just, you can't. You can't do you it. You won't last. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a beautiful balance of, you know, you look and you see the line that you want to do and you memorize it and you know where your ex exits are, you know where your safe spots are. Um, but I think the beauty of it is that it's trying to take in your head you know, the like challenging line or do you want to put a freestyle element into that or, you know, how much, how challenging do you want to make it for yourself? Then you go to the top and at a certain point I find, you know, the, the when, when, when things work out the best, um, you take your plan, you visualize it and then you got to let it go. Like there's a time where, you know, for me, before I drop in, I'll, I'll take a couple of deep breaths and you just let, let, let the plan go. You know, you, you know where you need to go and what you want to do. But if you stay, you know, rigidly fixated on trying to write it exactly like yeah. that, then yeah. you, 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 you don't stay open to uh, in the moment interpretations and adjustments um, because it's always a little different than it looks from the face or from what you can see from the top. Does that come from experience, in, do you find? I think. I mean, sure, trial and error of yeah, like yeah. trying to find when things really click. And, yeah, sure. And so, you know, you have your plan in the back of your head, but, I mean, finding flow, you can't be thinking about it. No. And attached to that. Yeah. So what's next for you? I mean, what are you starting? How old are you now? 35. 35. Just turned 35. Do you, do you start looking at the future? Um, I mean, and where it could lead. What, what I might guess be on the I'm kind of too busy looking at the present. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, I always, I always said that. Um, you know, said to myself that. It, you know, as soon as I kind of lose interest in. Uh, you know what it is I'm doing as a professional snowboarder. Um, look to look elsewhere for inspiration, and I'm still feeling pretty inspired. I still really love what I get to do. I love the people who I get to do it with. And I don't know, I, I don't really have an exit plan. There's a lot of things that I'm really interested in, in, in life and um, I still feel super good and uh, yeah, I'm gonna take it one year at a time. What things are inspiring you right now then? Um, I'm pretty inspired with, uh, I think, alternative energy. And I live up in Wyoming and there's a, hot, a lot of uh, kind of geothermal uh, activity and uh, new potential ways uh, to make geothermal more efficient. I mean, it's incredible what's happening with solar. I mean, uh, look into <laughs> to uh, where I think quantum physics is happening and how uh, it's starting to be flushed a little down into more of a you know mainstream appro approachable place. From it's kind of very confusing. Uh, start so many years ago, um, you know, na navigation for me, sailing the last multiple years and seeing places uh, far and away and the differences of 
you know, a place that uh, doesn't have like fishery restrictions. And like this last trip, we got to sail to a few places that, you know, like marine restricted areas out in the middle of the ocean. And why'd you go? Uh, we sailed from Tahiti up to Hawaii. Wow. And then there's a, a chain called the Line Islands uh, halfway through. And it's just not really traversed. People don't sail through there. Okay. Well, that is the middle of the Pacific, right? Like yeah, middle of the middle Pacific. Middle of Polynesia, basically. And just seeing how fucking healthy and right. diverse, like the, the fishery areas where, okay. uh, you know, it was protected from the big, like, harvesting fishing boats that are coming from China and other places. Right. They just come and just catch everything. Yeah. Okay. It's a bit of a glimpse of what it could be, almost. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I spend a lot of time with, like, product development. Uh, this new bindings that worked on for a few years with Union just came out called the Falcor. Uh, that was a really awesome and successful uh, project um, with LibTech. Uh, you know, it's been really fun designing new boards. And we, you know, last year put out the Climax, which is the first carbon board that those guys have tried to do. And that was like years of, of testing because carbon is twangy. You know, carbon is just uncomfortable as shit to ride. And so after a bunch of years of, of testing various um, uh, different ways of laying it up, um, finally f figuring out a way to do it where you get the you get the sprock and the snappiness that carbon brings and the weight savings um, without the the vibrations. It, it's, a, it's a soft... Um, beautiful ride i don't know it's a board called the climax okay spent a lot of time on it last yeah morning. yeah right it's expensive but yeah it's a Were you pleased it's a race car okay right so you know and with a lot of the sponsors being able to do stuff you know quicksilver yeah. i spend a couple weeks every year working on you know outerwear and tweaking and yeah so i i, I enjoy the design process yeah you like that part of it yeah i do yeah um okay i'm going to give you the classic looking sideways question um you got one day snowboarding left where would you go one day snowboarding left well go to ak man one good day in ak is best day you'll ever have for me that or we'll just go rip some turns in the local hill yeah for all time's sake. Yeah, sure. Back to Snow King. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back to Snow King. Um, and one last uh, trick. If you could only do one more trick, what would it be? Um, fuck, they're just super cranked out switch method, man. Been nice. trying to Trying to get that thing to look good. It still looks like shit. <laughs> um, okay, Travis, I think we need to get you to the ski show. So uh, thank you, man. Hey, man, no worries. Uh, I'd rather hang out here. <laughs> I'm a bit worried your uh, your team manager is going to be beating the door down. But uh, but yeah, thanks very much. I really appreciate it, man. Hey, well, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the opportunity in the chat. So there you go. That was my interview with Travis Rice. And uh, what a legend, eh? Um, listening back, I was a little bit shit when he said he'd, uh, he'd have been up for giving me more time at the end. But to be honest, I was told... I strictly had 45 minutes and I was pretty aware that he had a sign in at the ski show to get to. I was thinking of all those disappointed kids if he was going to be late. Plus we had to get some pictures. So I was feeling like I had to kind of cut it short and help him get there on time, uh, really. But yeah, it turns out he'd have gassed away for way longer. 
So that's good to know. And uh, I'd like to think that part two of the chat is just postponed for now. So next time I'll pass across, I'll be sure to have the old recorder with me. And uh, in short, Travis, it'd be great to get you on here again if you're up for it. You know, what I really liked about that chat was being able to witness Travis's uh, remarkable energy, really. He mentioned it himself. And obviously it comes across in the conversation because he's got that type of personality. But the, the man is a force of nature. It's true. It's literally pouring out of him. And that's something that I've noticed a lot when it comes to high-level athletes. Um, and secondly, as with my interview with Peter Helicar earlier in the year, this one's just got a lot of great lines in it. Um, when I was going through the show notes and picking out the uh, the quotes for the for the page, there was just almost too many good ones to pick out, really. And it was great to hear that he enjoys pushing himself mentally as much as he does physically. So nice one, Travis. Good on you for coming on the show. Really appreciate that. So what else is going on? Well, if you follow me on Instagram, and that's uh, we look at we look sideways on Instagram, you'll also see that I interviewed Brian Gucci over the course of the weekend, and that was great. I had a hugely enjoyable few hours wandering up and down the South Bank by the River Thames with Brian on Saturday. Uh, yet, yet again, disclaimer, um, spoiler alert: we were both pretty hungover because we'd been at the Human Nature Show the night before. Um, but I'm happy to report. He's as much of a stoked, lovely man as he appears. If, you, uh, if you're if you a fan of Brian Gucci, and there's a lot of you out there, I can tell from the reaction that, that those pictures I posted got, you're not going to be disappointed in uh, in my interview with Brian. He was a legend and uh, yeah, it was great. So keep, keep him peeled for that one. So I've also got a few trips coming up during which I'm hoping to tie in some podcast business. I'm off to Portland for a few days, which should be fun. Got a couple lined up there. I'm off to the Kendall Mountain Film Festival. And then in December, I'm off to Sydney for a month. Of course, I'll be going fully tooled up for some podcast business on each of these trips. And I do already have quite a long list of people that I'd like to get in touch with and chat to. But if you've got any ideas on people that I should feature, then do, of course, let me know. And yeah, if you want to slag me for the lack of women yet again, which is still happening, then uh, go for it. I'm all ears. So you can contact me on the website, www.wearelookingsideways.com, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. As I've said, Twitter and Instagram, I am at We Look Sideways, or by emailing me on podcast at wearelookingsideways.com. And, and I'd be very pleased to hear from you on each of those uh, avenues if you want to do that. So yeah, that's it for me for this week. Thanks as ever for listening. And until the next time, I'll see you later. Nice one. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>